Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 52 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to the works of writer-director-producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I am Matt Crandall, here as always with my co-host Marcelo Inestroza, as we continue our look at Lost Season 3. We are getting into the home stretch. Today we are taking a look at episodes 20 and 21 as we get near the very end of this pivotal season of Lost. The first episode up is episode 20, The Man Behind the Curtain. Finally, Marcelo, we have arrived at a Benjamin Linus flashback episode that starts off with us finding out Ben was not born on the island. He has been lying about this to us the whole time. Were you shocked when we, when we saw the scene of his birth and find out that it was not on our favorite island? It was actually just outside of Portland. I remembered that scene from my previous rewatch, but everything after that scene I had completely forgotten. After Ben is born, you see his mother and his father by the name of Robert, who turns out to be a workman that's going to come in later. When they run through the forest and they reach the clearing, they find themselves on the road. A couple of good Samaritans pull off the road and try to get uh, Ben's uh, mother to a hospital. But before she dies, she says to Ben's father, call him Benjamin. It was amazing. I particularly liked this scene in this episode where Ben finally takes John Locke to see a specific individual that has been hinted at by the name of Jacob. And as I'm watching this entire scene, I'm wondering to myself, if the whole reason that Ben wanted the body of John Locke's father was to see if John Locke was the quote-unquote special one, if he could actually hear Jacob when he spoke. Because I don't think that Ben can actually hear Jacob. I honestly don't know, because in that moment, it's so jarring when they go to that cabin and Ben starts pulling his Clint Eastwood talking to an empty chair. And we're like, what the hell is this? But he's carrying on and carrying on as if there's someone in the chair. And we are like John Locke in that moment where we're like, this is BS. You are putting on a show for me. You're not talking to anyone. Why are you doing this? Um, and it's it really takes the wind out of the sails of the mystery that we've been asking so long of who is Jacob? Who is Jacob? But then in that moment where Locke does hear a voice, I start to wonder, oh, does Ben actually hear this voice? Or is this still because we now know from the flashbacks, Ben is basically a con man himself. He is this loner who hasn't really fit in, doesn't really have a good place in the world and has a lot of heavy seated emotional issues that we didn't necessarily know about stemming from his mother and all this other stuff that I, I wonder can, is Ben communicating or is this still part of the theater? And that is why when Locke does have the interaction with Jacob does see a man sitting in the chair and does hear a voice that it rattles Ben to his core because 
Ben himself might not have ever had this interaction. He might only know of this secondhand from people like Richard, who this episode reveals has does not age because Ben encounters Richard in the jungle as a child and he looks exactly the same as he does today 30 years later. So I I don't know that moment where Ben is talking to Jacob, I can't tell if he's actually talking to someone in this moment or if it is just part of the theater pantomime that he's putting on. And then when Locke does hear a voice, that is why it rattles Ben so deeply. If Ben can't hear the voices, then why was it that when Ben was a child, started to see visions of his mother? Couldn't have those visions of his mother uh, been Jacob in another form? It very well could be. And the only reason that I know that, you know, I take at face value that he can see his dead mother is because Jack Shepard has seen his dead father occasionally. So that is something that happens on the island. And I don't question if that's real or not, because we've seen other characters have similar moments like that. So the only thing we haven't seen them actually carry on a conversation very often, other than this flashback with Ben and his mother, where he does have some interaction. So then you start to wonder, is Jacob some sort of spirit, some sort of ghost like his mother? And that is why he's able to communicate. And these things only reveal themselves to certain people at certain times. But again, it's just a million more questions added to the fire of like, what is happening on this island with this supernatural kind of stuff. The writers attempt the most evil, seductive son of a bitch character in lost history. Some emotional baggage. So us as the audience member would feel for him and his situation. Did that work for you? Or do you think he's still a son of a bitch? It's funny because what they did was they, they balanced the scales really evenly because in this episode, We see him arrive to the island. He meets Annie and makes a friend when he's a kid. And we so we see that he's got that bond. But we also know his mother has died. He's with his father, who is not very attentive, Roger. And when they come to the island and he's watching the video with Pierre Chang, he he feels out of place and he's not quite sure he's not comfortable in this scenario. And seeing his relationship with Annie and his relationship with his father, played by the great John Grease, who was just amazing on HBO's The White Lotus, which ended a few weeks ago. Uh, A great character actor. But then, when we start to get some of that pathos for what Ben has gone through, he kills his own father to get in with the, the group of Richard and these people during The Purge, where, you know, we known that Dharma has been basically on high alert because of the hostiles. And when Ben meets Richard for the first time, he says, oh, are you one of the hostiles? And Richard says, I don't think you even know what is going on here and what that means. And obviously, by the end of this episode in the flashbacks, we see that Ben is on their team and he's part of the purge that kills most of the Dharma initiative with the gas. But he kills his father in the most intimate setting. The two of them together, and I love the reveal that Ben kills his father, who is Roger Workman, 
the guy that we saw in the Hurley flashback episode a few weeks ago, and he killed him in the Dharma van that they spent so much time bringing back, and that was Ben's father's body in there. Those moments were chef's kiss. Uh, I love how they brought it back to this thing that we have already seen and we already know about, but any sympathy we had for Ben, even though his father was not a good father, again, another, you know, lost loves this bad parent themes, uh, that he does kill him. So the fact that we got some empathy for Ben in the early parts of the episode that is then removed. And as that happens in the flashback, Ben shoots John Locke in the present because he is jealous that Locke heard Jacob's voice, which does suggest that you might be right. Ben has not actually talked to Jacob at all because he is so jealous that Locke is maybe a special chosen one who did hear Jacob's voice. In the last couple episodes or the last couple weeks, I've been very, very hard on the character of John Locke as played beautifully by Terry O'Quinn. I would like to take all that stuff back right now. Locke is a person that deserved better, and he is not a unredeemable son of a bitch like I said he was a couple weeks ago. There was something about this performance and the sincerity that uh, Terry O'Quinn brought to Locke in this specific episode... In the scene that you just mentioned, after Ben shoots him and he falls into the grave full of the Dharma people, the way that Locke pleads with Ben not to shoot him, it's just this really, really small moment, but it is emotional and eye-catching. Yeah, definitely. And I did like that earlier in the episode, Locke is the guy calling the shots. He's He's like, I killed my father, so... You're going to take me to Jacob and we're going to do this. And Alex gives him a gun and Ben is looking at her like, what are you doing giving Locke this gun? And Locke thinks he's in the driver's seat until that moment where they are standing over the grave. And like, I love John Locke, even as frustrating as he can get, because Terry O'Quinn is never less than 100% compelling. And in these moments where... Ben betrays him, shoots him, and he falls into that mass grave. It's so disturbing. And I just love when Ben is screaming like, what did he say? And Locke says, help me. And he goes, no, tell me. And he's like, no, no, that is what he said. Like, I I will tell you, he said, help me. And Locke has put himself in this position by thinking that he had more power than he did. And it's another case of someone underestimating the lengths that Benjamin Linus is willing to go to to keep everything at status quo on this island. And I just loved that, you know, th- the whole what the hell of the Jacob stuff and the escalation of Ben trying to reclaim his glory as this leader of his group, even after Locke gave in to his demands, because he didn't think Locke was going to be able to follow through. So I like that the first half of the episode Locke is kind of driving the on island. And then in that final moments, Benjamin, you know, has his big moment where he's like, I'm not going to let you be the special one because that's supposed to be me. So I thought that was really good. And I did like that on the beach with our losties, 
the truth about Juliet comes out and, you know, Sawyer's like, she's been working with both sides. And Jack says, I know she has revealed this to me. We know that Ben and the others are going to be coming to take our pregnant women on this night. So we are trying to organize a strategy to to thwart this. So it does boost Juliet's profile a bit. You know, we've had a lot of questions about her allegiance and where it lies, but it is fully revealed in this episode that she has come clean to Jack. And this is what I always wished Michael would have done is just come clean and then they can devise a plan to keep everything in check. So I do like that Juliet does firmly hate Ben. That is where we are headed. And she is on team, you know, losties. It's just that it's taken a lot of backdoor meetings and centrifuge to get there. So I love that she does come clean about this. And Jack has known, and they now have to figure out what's going to happen because we have a ticking clock that we know three days from now or whatever it is, is when the others are coming And this starts to escalate the stakes and raise the tension as we head towards these final episodes of the season, knowing that this battle and this sort of showdown that we've been waiting for is is coming. So did that have you on the edge of your seat? Were you happy that the truth about Juliet finally came out? Are you feeling better about her now where we are? I always thought that her true colors we're going to re- going to be revealed, but how do you feel about Juliet now as a character that everything has been unwrapped? Yeah, I think this was where I started to, you know, now that we know that her allegiance is to the the Losties, is where I started to warm up to her. So she does prove herself, even though she's proved herself a few times, but then we've gotten those scenes where we find out that she's still beholden to Ben. So I do like that this was where finally it's like, okay, I I can get on board with this character and, and see where things go. I really like the fact that for some reason, Jack feels sort of beholden to Juliet for what he went through while he was on the other's island. And I like the fact that he keeps away his grand plan of what he wants to do away from the rest of the losties. The reason they don't tell everyone right away is because it will sow too much distrust in the situation and it may cause a mass panic. And so they were waiting until they had a firmer plan and a strategy on what they were going to do until they let sort of people know what was happening. Just because everybody on the beach at this point is quite stressed out. They've been there forever and we're getting new information every, every day that no one is looking for them because they did find the plane. So I do think that the reason he withheld that information is just because they wanted more time to come up with a strategy to reduce the amount of panic amongst the people on the beach. With that, we get to the next episode on our journey, which is episode 21 greatest hits where we do find out that because they did recover a plane in the real world, Naomi lets us know that Charlie, the dead rock star, has been getting a lot of press, and Driveshaft put out a new Greatest Hits package to capitalize on his death. 
and make a little cash and are having a resurgence as a result of him going missing and dying on this plane, which is crazy. But of course, the title Greatest Hits has a double meaning as this whole episode unfolds and Charlie begins writing a list of his own personal greatest hits, the top five moments of his life. And those are what we see presented in the flashbacks, starting with him and Liam broken down on the side of the road, um, having a fight in the rain. And they hear, they're basically saying, you know, we put out our album, didn't do anything. We missed it's we're at a breaking point. And then they hear you all, everybody on the radio knowing that this is the moment that things start to turn around for drive shaft, put a gigantic smile on my face and started this episode in beautiful fashion and really starts to put the wheels in motion for an emotional swan song for Charlie Pace. That is a little bit premature, but starts to let us know that Desmond's you're going to die. Charlie is probably going to have to come true because Desmond reveals he has had more flashes. And in these flashes, Charlie dies, but the, butterfly effect of this is that Claire gets into a helicopter and her and Aaron get rescued. Marcelo, what did you think as Desmond reveals this information and Charlie kind of resigns himself to the fact that he is willing to go through these steps to make sure that this does happen so that Claire and Aaron can have a better life? I thought that this episode was a completely different episode. Oh my God. This is it. Please don't do this to me today. I am in an emotional state. This episode wasn't what we're going to have to deal with next week. I really, really like that Charlie sort of reached a point of peace in his life and finally was okay with his overall fate. That was illustrated by showing the best moments of his life. I like the significance of the drive shaft. It was their um, great grandfather. His name was Dexter Stratton. And uh, it is like a, a family heirloom that they passed down. When Charlie finally makes up his mind and he says, I have to do this, not only to save Claire, but to save everybody else. He starts saying goodbye to everyone. The way that he chooses to do it, is in a very, very somber and, you know, sort of, you know, I'm going with Desmond and I'm, you know, I'm going to go do this. And, you know, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate you and how much I love you. The moment that got to me was when Hurley, for some weird reason, wanted to go with Charlie and Desmond. And Charlie goes, you can't go on the boat, man. You're too, you're too fat. I didn't want to go with you in the first place. I was just kidding. You know, eventually Charlie goes up to him and he says something to the effect of, I just want you to remember that I love you and everything is going to be okay. When Charlie says that, I started to well up. I had to pause the video and stop watching for a couple of seconds because I, I, I couldn't take it. I had, to, I had to take a few seconds to just compose myself. Yeah, and when I was watching it, it was getting a little dusty in the room a couple of times. 
in this episode, which is weird because I like Charlie, but he's not my favorite. And like you said, he has these small moments where he knows that it's a goodbye forever and the people he's interacting with do not know. So we can pick up all of the cues that he's giving that other people aren't getting and you just know like, oh, they're going to look back on this conversation later and know that he knew he was going to his death, which is heartbreaking. And the final moments with Claire and Aaron um, are touching. And I do love that, you know, he does cut down Hurley and Hurley's like, not cool, man. I didn't want to go anyway. Forget it. And he realizes like, this can't be my last interaction with this guy because I do like this guy. And so he says to him, like, yeah, I I love you. Like, I just need you to know I didn't mean it. I, I snapped at you for no reason. Like, I, I do love you. And Hurley's like, yeah, whatever. Love you too, man. And walks away. And you just know later that will be a moment that will provide some sort of closure and peace to the people around Charlie when he is gone. So I just thought that was really beautiful. And I love that as he's making the list, we we don't know at first, like he's numbering this, but when they reveal later that this is what he considers his top five best moments ever, I like that a lot of them are, you know, small family moments, like his dad teaching him how to swim, um, the when he got the ring from his brother as being such a moment, but also that moment in the second to last one where he intervenes after he's done singing Wonderwall and he sees a woman getting mugged in a back alley and he runs back there to try and help her. And the woman says like, thank you. You're a hero. And he says, it's anybody would have done it. And she said, no, three other people walked by as this was happening and did nothing. So you are a hero. So it's nice to see that, you know, sometimes, and that's a moment where Charlie gets outside validation, but it's just him doing the right human thing and that ends up being it's not his band hitting number one it's not you know all the money or the drugs or the girls that he got that is literally one of his top five moments where he just did the right thing and helped out another human being which speaks to the character of charlie pace and shows us that you know this guy is willing to sacrifice certain things if he has to. And it really sells that he is going to go through this and do the right thing, even if it does mean that he's going to die. And there is that one moment where Desmond says, I'll go down instead. Like, I see that you're willing to do it, but I don't want you to. And I, for a second, like I know the ultimate fate of Charlie. I couldn't remember how this was going to play out. And I like, you know, wiping the tears away. I'm like, please, no. Like, Charlie has to do it at this point because if he chickens out, it undercuts everything else. So I do love where he says like, oh, sure, yeah, Desmond, you can do it. But then knocks out Desmond because he knows that that is not the right thing. And I just, it made me love Charlie more than I have. And it was just so heartwarming and heartbreaking. But also everything else going on the on, on the island is keeping this episode super exciting while we have those heartbreaking moments because the others have bumped up their timetable. They are coming now. And Alex sends Carl to warn the people on the beach 
that this attack that they thought was coming tomorrow is actually coming to them now, and they have to start accelerating their plan. And that is what sets this whole Charlie thing in motion because he has to turn off this radio signal stuff because there's a jammer that's stopping the signal from getting out. And other part of the team has to go to where Russo's signal is and shut that off so that we can start hopefully getting the signal out by taking out these external forces that are stopping it. So I did love that the on-island action, the action part, starts to ramp up. And I do love where people are like, hey, where's Locke? And Ben's like, he had an accident. You son of a bitch. Uh, So I thought that was good. Um, Marcelo, how surprised were you when Charlie swims into the Looking Glass station and he's so relieved that he did make it into this station and then two women with guns run out and that is where we end knowing that there are actually armed people in this station. It's not going to be as easy as Charlie just walking in and flipping a switch. I completely forgot the wire on the beach led to the looking glass sort of hub underneath the water. Oh my God. He's going to the moon pool from the abyss. When he popped up and he was able to breathe again, he started screaming and was like, dude, shut the hell up. When I first saw this episode, I had no doubt that there was going to be somebody down there. You don't leave one of the most important underwater stations on your island if you're Ben unattended. You don't do that. So he wouldn't leave the one thing that is keeping this place hidden from the rest of the world unguarded. This episode does have a ticking clock to it. It complements the emotional uh, storyline with Charlie so, so well. I was just so excited to get to the next episode, but I'm so happy that we're not going to get to the next to, to the next episode just yet. And we will wrap up this amazing season with the episode that you've been waiting the entire season to get to. Yeah, next week, if you are following along and watching at home, we are going to be diving into the season three finale, episode 22, Through the Looking Glass, which I think on streaming is presented as two episodes. It did air as one two-hour block, and it is where we start to wrap up a lot of these storylines, and the jaw-dropping twist at the end changes the trajectory of the format of Lost going forward in a way that still is one of those amazing moments in TV history, I think. And this week was a great couple episodes, and I had forgotten how good Greatest Hits was and just the emotion and the action. And as you said, the ticking clock, what a great way to add tension and anxiety for the uh, the audience as we lead into this final episode. So that is what we are talking about today. We are all done. Hopefully, if you guys are enjoying this, you can let your friends know about the show, tweet about it, use the hashtag Radio815. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, we are at JJUniverse815. If you want to get in touch with me, I am also on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, Twitter is a good spot to hit you up. Where can they do that? I'm at CreekFanatic88. So thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it. And next week, we will see you to talk about the epic Through the Looking Glass. 
Until then, Radio 815 over and out.